We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly. Before you sit down, I want to read you our passage from John chapter 9, seven verses today. It says, as he went along, he being Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, but while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And so the man went, and he washed, and for the first time in his life, he came home seeing. All right, God has given me a message to bring to you today. If your life is a mess, all right, and every single one of us at some point will face a situation that feels like a mess. Some of us are coming out of it. Some of us are in the thick of it. Some of, some of us are about to step into it, right? Life gets messy, whether you're young or old, rich or poor, no matter your background, life gets messy. And so like the holy, like Christian title of my message is finding meaning in your mess. I want to help you find meaning in your mess. But really what I want, what, 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 what I want to stick in your heart today is I think God wants you today that if you're sitting back looking at your life and you're like, man, this is a mess, I want you to understand that God today wants to lean over to you and say, what you call a mess, I would say it's called art. It's called art. That what you call a mess, I want to transform into a masterpiece. And I want to teach you today how to see the art of God that is happening in the midst of your mess, man. So, but let's, let's not delay, man. Let's get to it. Why don't you turn around, meet some people, give some hugs, give some high fives. If he's cute, do not give him your number. Make him pursue you. Don't be thirsty. Don't be thirsty. Trying to give dating advice. Oh, Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Peak City, how are we doing today? You good? Good, man, good. I, I'm always impressed and proud of those who show up on Memorial Day weekend. Y'all the real homies. You the real homies that show up on a holiday weekend instead of going camping and skipping church. So if you're watching online and you're skipping church, Thank you for watching. That's right, I guess. <laughs> I guess. No, it's all good. It's all good. Hey, a couple of housekeeping announcements. Next Sunday is Baptism Sunday, June 4th. It's about to be crazy. Hey, man, baptism is a public declaration of a private decision you've made to start following Jesus. And at the end of every service for two years now, y'all understand this is the two-year anniversary of us doing a time of decision at the end of every single service. And for two years straight, we've not had a single Sunday without someone giving their life to Jesus. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Next Sunday, we celebrate all those first-time decisions. So, man, if you have made that decision to start following Jesus, man, go public with it. Get baptized. We'd love to talk to you about that. You can sign up on our website for that. Um, so that's a, a great opportunity for you. Then the Sunday after that, June 11th, is culture class. Culture class. It's the first Sunday of a new round where you can take three weeks and get to know other people at our church and then get all your questions answered about our church. So if you want to know what your best next step is, it's always, always, always 
culture class. We got a new round of that starting on June 11th. And then uh, last thing I want to celebrate with you before we jump into the message um, is that we just ended uh, this big initiative that we call Heart for the House, where we celebrate uh, what God is doing here. And we ask anyone that calls this place home to consider your financial giving. And so I get to celebrate with you that uh, over the last month, our church, you guys all came together and sacrificially gave. And uh, our, our giving has increased 12% over the last four weeks as a church, which is beautiful. We should celebrate that. That's amazing. Um, and man, I just want to say thank you because I, I love being a part of a church where I don't have to beg you for money. Legit, man, there's a lot of pastors I know that are like, man, I hate talking about money because, man, people don't like it and, and then nobody gives. It's like, man, we hardly ever talk about money around here and you guys are super generous. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. If you still want to jump in, you can always do that with us on our website, peakcityco.com, all right? Uh, we in John chapter 9, we're going to go back through that whole passage verse by verse today. It's called arts. It's called arts. I think God wants you in the depths of your soul to see that whatever mess you're living through right now, you call it a mess. God wants to say to you that it's called arts. It's called art. And if you know anything about fine arts, you know it's really hard to understand. <laughs> right? Like all these people that go to art galleries and act like they know what they're looking at, get out of here. Get out of here, man. Come on, man. You ain't that smart. You ain't that high and lofty. You don't know what you're looking at. It, it, it's hard. It's hard to understand sometimes what the artist is doing. And today I want to show you through John chapter 9 how Jesus looks at your life and how you can find meaning in the mess. Because sometimes life just gets messy, right? How many of y'all by show of hands have, have ever lived through a messy season in your life? Yeah, yeah. Look around. Look around. Everyone keep your hands up that just had your hand up. Don't put them down too quick. I don't care if you didn't put on deodorant this morning. Keep it up. I want you to understand, people look around right now. There are people in this room right now that are in a mess actively right now, and you need to know you're not alone. All right, now you can put your hands down. You're like, okay, quick, quick. Um, sometimes life gets messy. Sometimes life does not go the way you want it to, the way you dreamed it would go, right? I remember when Brittany and I first started having kids, right? Our first child, we're about to welcome our, our who is now 11, about to be 12. I can't believe I've got like an almost teenager, uh, which is insane. But man, when we were about to welcome him into the world, young Emmett's, um, you know, you got in your mind when you start to have kids, it's going to be like a picture-perfect scenario, right? You got the, the great house and the white picket fence and the, the 2.5 kids and the dog and the whole deal. Like, you're going to do the thing. And um, I made a mistake. All right, I made a mistake. I'm going to give some of you husbands, some of you young, uh, newlyweds, some advice. Husbands in the room, just listen to this. I made a mistake. Um, my wife was about four months pregnant, and uh, the lease on the apartment that we were in was about to come up, and I did a, a very bad thing. I signed a lease on an apartment that my wife had never seen. I heard some husbands go, oh, God. <laughs> and it was bad. It was bad, bad. The reason I signed it is because it was so cheap. I didn't want someone else to snatch it up. I'm like, girl, we need to save some money. I've heard kids are expensive. So I signed the lease on this cheap apartment. But there were so many things wrong with it. It was such a mess. Like, for one, it didn't have a dishwasher. So we were like a little house on the prairie in it, hand washing our dishes every night, which doesn't sound too bad. But, like, when you've got a newborn, you don't want to wash dishes, right? You don't want to do that. But, but th that was by far, like, not, not even close to the worst thing. The worst thing about this apartment, something was going on underneath the floor. So, like, we were on the first level. Something was going on. Something was wrong in the foundation because the carpet was always damp. Yeah. You couldn't wear just, like, socks because after five minutes, your socks would be wet. For a solid year, we never took our shoes off at home. 
It's like we welcomed a child into the world and we never took our shoes off. We're up in the middle of the night changing diapers and our Crocs, man. It was bad. It was a mess, right? It was a mess. And uh, I know some of you right now are in a situation where you just feel like life is a mess and it's nothing like what you ever anticipated having to deal with. It's not anything like what you expected life to be. And, and I think you're going to find some comfort and some encouragement today because our, our, our friend in John chapter 9, there's no way that he ever envisioned his life being like this. John chapter 9, we start in verse 1. Y'all ready to dig in? Let's go, let's go. Memorial Day weekend crowd. So proud of you guys. I know, I know half y'all thought, are we really going to church today? And you did it. You did it. You did it. I love you. I'm proud of you. John chapter 9, verse 1. I got big hopes and dreams for this message. I know there are people in the room right now that are, when I, when I make lighthearted comments about life being a mess, I know there are people in the room right now that are going through actual hell on earth. And so, man, I, I believe that when God gives a message to me like this about how to find meaning in your mess— I'm just praying that it, it is received by those of you who are, like, some of y'all are sitting in rows next to people right now that are walking through the fires of hell actively. And so, man, just, if you're not in a, if, if your life ain't a mess right now, can you at least pray for the people in your row whose, whose life is a mess? And, and take notes, because it's coming for you too. Bear of bad news. Here we go. Verse 1, it says, As he went along, he being Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, Blind from birth. Leave that verse on the screen for me for just a second. He, he was blind from birth. In a culture that did not make allowances or accommodations for people with additional needs. Braille had not been invented yet. Okay, this man is most likely living in complete poverty with no one helping him. He is completely dependent on other people's mercy. It is... A horrible existence to be born blind in the first century. Okay, this is, a, this is a mess. It's a mess. And Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Right? What did he do to cause this to happen to him? Isn't it funny how sometimes when we see other people's messes, we like to speculate as to why they ended up there. Like, oh man, did you see what he posted on social media? I always knew something was fishy about that marriage. You know, at work, you're like, oh man, did, you know, I, I worked with her on a project one time and I thought she was crazy, so it doesn't shock me that she's in that mess now. You know, we always like to comment on other people's messes because it makes us feel better about our mess. That's a different sermon for a different day. But the disciples are like, hey, what did he do to cause this to happen to him. Why him? Did he sin or did his parents sin? And, and so you know if they're asking the question, why did this happen to him? You gotta know that he's asking the question. You gotta know that he's like, God, why me? How many of you ever asked that question? Why me? Why now? Why is this, why is this gotta happen? Why me? It's because when we're in the midst of our mess, the first thought that runs through our head the first, the first um, line of thinking that keeps us from finding meaning in our mess, that keeps us from understanding the fine art of God that he's trying to work in your life, the first line of thinking, the first thought that runs through our head is this, this is happening to me. This is happening to me. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe they fired me. I can't believe 
my finances are in this shape. I can't believe I'm going through a divorce. I can't believe my kids turned out like that. I raised them better than that. See, when we're going through mess, the very first thing we do is we put ourselves in the seat. And, and I know this is going to be hard to hear for some of you, but, but I, I believe God wants to set you free from this. The first thing we do is we put ourselves in the seat of the victim. And here's the deal. I get it. This man that was, he was born blind. Like that's a, that, if, that's a very bad deal. And there's, we're going to find out in a second, there's nothing he did to cause that. It's easy when life, when you're walking through the fires of hell, it's easy to step into the victim mentality. It's easy to say, woe is me. Why me, God? Why is this happening to me? God, why? Is it my fault? Are you getting mad at me, back at me for something I did wrong? But then most of the time we sit there and we look at other people and we go, man, it's their fault. It's their fault. It's their fault. I remember when I got fired from my very first job as a pastor in my mid-20s. And man, for years... I sat in the seat of the victim and I said, I can't believe that happened to me. I can't believe my boss treated me like that. I can't believe he fired me. I can't, I moved my, 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 my whole family across the country for him and for, for this mission. I can't, for years I sat in that seat of the victim. This is happening to me. This is happening to me. And what I'm learning more and more is that even if you've got every right to sit in the seat of the victim, right, even if Man, you got dealt a bad hand and it's not your fault. What I'm learning is that the more you live with that thinking, this is happening to me, this is happening to me, the more you sit in the seat of the victim, the less you ever step into freedom. What I'm learning is the more you sit in the seat of the victim, the more you actually worry about and obsess about things and people that you cannot control. This is happening to me. This is happening to me. You got to know this is what he was thinking, right? This is what he was thinking. Jesus, though, he's like, hold up. Let me correct everyone's thinking for just a moment. Let me turn this completely on its head. Look at what he says in verse three. He says, no, 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 y'all crazy. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened. You've got to catch this. If you're walking through the fires of hell right now, you've got to catch this. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. But while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And he says, this young man was, was put into this situation. It was not happening to him. No, it was done so the works of God might be displayed in him. It was done so that there might be a greater story to tell. See, if you want to back up, if you want to find meaning in your mess, if you want to understand how the artist is working in your life, it's called arts, all right? You've got to change your thinking and you got to say, no, no, this is not happening to me. This is happening for me. This is happening for me. This is happening for my good. This is happening for my growth. This is happening for my development. When I got, when I got fired from my job as a pastor, y'all understand, I came to, I'm going to give you, I've told the story a ton of times at our church. I can keep telling it because a lot of y'all are new. I came to my boss and said, I'm depressed. Never been depressed in my life, but I'm going through depression. And he's like, I need somebody on staff who is spiritually healthy. And he fired me. And I could sit there all day and go, I can't believe that happened to me. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he kicked me while I'm down. But now looking back 12, 15 years later, I go, man, that didn't happen to me. That happened for me. Because now in my heart, I've got such a, such a, a fierce desire 
to stay emotionally and mentally healthy. I've got such a fierce desire to fight for people when they're down and out. I've got such a fierce desire in me. Like God, God used that, that thing that I thought happened to me and he actually used it for me. See, this is not happening to you. This is happening for you. And I know that's so hard to hear when you're going through a divorce. I know that's so hard to hear when you're going through a diagnosis. I know that's so hard to hear, but you need to understand the God we sing about. We sing these lyrics all the time. Can we start putting them into practice? Right? You take what the enemy meant for evil and you what? Turn it for good. You turn it for good. It's for you. What the enemy meant for evil, God turns it for you. He turns it for you, right? God takes all things and works them together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God works it for you. He works it for you. The divorce you're going through right now, oh, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. I know it's hard to see right now, but if you will trust the artist, if you will trust the artist, he will take that situation that seems like hell on earth and he, in his grace, the miracle worker that he is, he will turn it for your good. It's not happening to you. Replace that thinking. Replace that thinking. You'll never heal as long as you're the victim. You'll never heal. It's okay to acknowledge the pain you've gone through. It's okay to acknowledge the wrong that's been done to you. But you need to understand that God wants to take that horrible thing that happened and turn it for your good. Come on, come on. Even death. Even death. Okay. I have, we have people in our church, good friends who have lost loved ones over the past year. I want you to hear this. Even in death, it's not happening to you. Thanks to God, it actually happens for you. We, we lost a, a hero of the faith a couple weeks ago, uh, Dr. Tim Keller. If anybody's familiar with his books, his writing, his preaching, his ministry, uh, you won't find anyone who's been more formative <clears throat> for modern day preachers, pastors, and ministers like me than Tim Keller. I mean, my, my preaching, everything about the way I think about the Bible, and it's been so shaped by this man. And he was taken at a very young age, 73 years old, um, from pancreatic cancer. He passed away. And some of his last words from a man dying, from a man leaving behind a church movement that he had started that was flourishing in New York City, from a man who leaves his kids behind and his grandkids, some of his last words were, there, there's absolutely no downside to me passing away, not in the slightest. Sounds a lot like Paul when he would say in the New Testament that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, when, when you pass away, for the follower of Jesus, death does not happen to you. Death happens for you. You go from glory to glory. You go from serving Jesus to being face to face with Jesus. Trust me, it's a better trade-off. It happens not to you, it happens for you. And then come on, if you're grieving, if you're grieving, if you're grieving the loss of someone you love, you have to hear this. It's painful and it's awful, but come on. If you've ever spent time with someone who has grieved the loss of a loved one, listen to them. Listen to the depths of their spiritual walk. Listen to the depths of their love for Jesus. Listen to their gratitude for the gift of life. It's as if God really does draw near to the brokenhearted. It's as if through death, God does something in your soul that can't be done otherwise. It's, it, it's as if through grief, Jesus, who it said was a man of constant sorrow, well acquainted with the deepest grief, he shows up. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's called art. It's called art. 
You have to replace your thinking. It's not happening to you. I know it sucks. But if you can switch it and say, man, God, I trust you. God, you're the artist. God, you're doing something here. You're doing something. It's not happening to me. God's happening for me. God, teach me. God, grow me. God, bring me closer to you. And then you'll begin to see. It's called art. Find meaning in your mess. You'll find meaning in your mess, right? It's called art. But like any good art, like any really good fine art, it gets weird. You ever looked at something and somebody said, oh man, this is like a $10,000 painting and you're like, huh? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Talk to me more. Tell me more. Tell me more because this is weird. You know, some of these artists, I feel like once you get a little success, like the art gets a little weird. You know, start taking creative risks. It gets weird. It gets weird, right? Jesus is going to take this art and it's going to get a little weird because look at what happens in verse six. This work is weird. <laughs> he says, after saying this, he spit on the ground, he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Say it again. He did what? <laughs> he did what? <laughs> he spit on the dirt, and he made mud, and he rubbed it on a blind man's eyes. I miss the old Kanye. Man, he was so Kanye. <laughs> what? <laughs> you got to be kidding me right now. It gets weird. It gets weird. It gets weird, man. It gets weird. But it's called art. It's called art. See, this is the thing. When it comes to you finding meaning in your mess, when it comes to you understanding what God's doing in your life, you got to look closer. You got to look closer. You got to take another look at it, right? Because just with this one little bit, I mean, just think about the detail that the artist God puts into this, right? Jesus spits on the dirt, makes mud out of it, and rubs it on his eyes. Jesus works with dirt. Jesus works with dirt. Back up to Genesis with me for just a second. Because in the very beginning, God created man, and he created him from what? Dirt. It's as if in this moment, when Jesus is going to bring healing to this man, he says, oh, I'm, not, I'm just going to work with the same material from which I made you. Back in Genesis, I, I brought dirt together and I formed you and I breathed life into this thing. I created you with dirt and I'm going to heal you with dirt. It's, it's as if Jesus is saying, I created you and I can restore you. Right now, some of you in the room that, that, that don't believe in God, you're not sure about faith right now. I'm telling you, the same God who created you is the same God who can heal you. He's the same God who can redeem your life. He's the same God who can restore your life. Jesus in this moment, this beautiful artistic moment, is showing, like we said last week, he ain't just a good teacher. He ain't just a good preacher. It's the God who formed you and created the heavens and the earth. Colossians tells us that, that the whole world and everything in it was made by Jesus, for Jesus, and through Jesus. And in this one moment, just with the material he chooses to heal with, it's called art. It's called art. Do you see the beauty of it? But it gets weirder. It gets so weirder. Oh my, it gets, it gets so weird, man. I miss the old Kanye. I miss the college dropout, Kanye. Because in verse 7, after he's rubbed mud on this dude's eyes, after he's rubbed mud on this blind dude's eyes, in verse 7, he says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. And this word means scent. He says, okay, you got mud on your eyes. Catch how weird this is. You got mud on your eyes. Now I want you to walk across town 
in front of everybody and let them laugh. Now I want you to walk across town and as if it wasn't humiliating enough for you to walk as a blind man, I want you to walk as a blind man with mud on your eyes. I want you to be okay with their pointing. I want you to be okay with their snickering. I want you to be okay with the, with the jokes. I want you to be okay with people thinking you're crazy. I want you to be okay with it, right? And you gotta know that our friend here, you gotta know that he was thinking the same thing you and I would be thinking. It's the same thing we often think when, when we're in the middle of our mess. When we're in the middle of our mess and someone offers us a solution, we almost always think this. We think, I need to fight this. I need to fight this. You want me to do what, Jesus? You want me to walk across town and let everybody point and laugh? You want me to do what, Jesus? You want me to go to marriage counseling, Jesus, and pay some chump three or four hundred dollars for the first two sessions just to get to know me? You want me to do what, Jesus? You want me to be honest with someone in my small group about my little issue that I got going on that's growing into an, you want me to tell somebody about that? I don't even know these people. What, Jesus? You want me to sit down and actually talk with my spouse about our spending and actually look at the credit card statements? What? See, when we're in the middle of a mess and God brings a solution, we almost always say, I just need to fight it. I just need to fight it. I just need to fight it. And right now, I believe there are people in this room that you are in a mess right now. You are in a mess and God is bringing you solutions. There are so many options of people you could talk to, places you could go to, help you could seek, and you are fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. I've got friends. Marriage 10 years ago was an absolute disaster. I met with them. We recommended counseling. They went to one session and said, this is crazy. I'm not, I'm not talking about my feelings like that. And now 10 years later, their marriage is still a mess. It's still mediocre. It's still awful. They're just staying together for the kids. It's like we we see solutions and, and we fight it and we fight it and we fight it. And at some point you have to understand your thinking has to switch. If you're gonna find meaning in the mess and if you're gonna get healing, if you're gonna actually get better, if you're gonna actually become less of a mess, you must change from I need to fight this and it needs to become I need to accept this. I need to accept this. I need to accept the fact that I've went through five, six, seven, eight different relationships over the past five years and none of them have panned out. I need to stop fighting it and I need to accept the fact that my picker's broken. Some of y'all in this room, as a, as, a, as, a, as a friend of mine, Ed, Ed's line, Ed's like, some people, man, Pete, you just gotta know their picker's broken. Some people can't pick them. Some people need help. Maybe you need to go to some friends and say, hey, the next time I tell you I'm going on a date with somebody, can we make it a group date and you come see what you think? You need to accept this. Don't, stop fighting it, stop fighting it. What I'm learning more and more is that when you're in a mess, you have to understand this. Your healing will require your humbling. Your healing is going to, when you go in for surgery, what's the first thing they do when you get there? They put you in a hospital gown. Ain't nobody look good in a hospital gown. 
You gotta be willing to do things that you are uncomfortable doing. You need to accept this. Some of you right now have been passed over for that promotion at work four, five, six, seven times. For the love of your heavenly father, will you go to your boss and say, hey, what am I doing wrong? Accept it. You're you're getting looked over. And if you want that to change, you gotta learn something that's not gonna be comfortable. Some of y'all, you can't speak without sounding like a jerk, right? The ones that are laughing are the ones that know who you are. (laughs) And you're pushing people out of your life and you're like, man, why am I so lonely? Why does no one wanna, man, why don't you go to your friends and say, what's wrong? Can, Can you tell me what I don't see? You need to stop fighting this and you need to accept this. Your mess will not be made any better until you embrace the reality that this is your story. Whether you like it or not, whether it's the story you wanted for yourself, this is the story that the artist is working in your life. This is the story that God has for you. And you need to accept it. Your healing requires your humbling. Your healing requires you to say, God, I hate this. But I'll do anything. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'm in. And our friend, this man born, from, born blind, he gets to that place. Where he's like, you want me to walk? You want me to walk across town with mud on my eyes? All right, I'll do it, whatever. I'll look like a crazy person. I'll let them point. I'll let them laugh. I'll let them say whatever they're gonna say at the water cooler tomorrow. I'll do it, Jesus, whatever it takes. Because at some point, we all reach a place of brokenness. And man, I'm praying that this happens for some of you today. At some point, we reach a place of brokenness where the pain of staying the same is way more than the pain of humbling yourself and accepting help. See, at some point, there's a, there's a switch that happens in your mind when you're in the middle of your mess. And, and, and the switch happens, and you'll do whatever it takes. You'll confess your sins. You'll get in a group. You'll go pray with somebody after service. You'll get baptized. You'll do, you'll do whatever God asks you to do because in your mind, the goal is less misery. The goal is less misery. We think in our, in, in our in, and this is actually a, a beautiful place to be, right? This blind man's like, I'll do anything just to see normally. I'll do anything just to have a normal life like everyone else has. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes, Jesus. I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Because the goal is less misery. And that's not a bad place to be. But I came here today to tell you that God does not just want to heal you and make you whole and help you clean up the mess on aisle you. He doesn't just want to do that to decrease your misery. He's actually got a bigger plan. He's got a bigger plan in mind. He's got a bigger plan in mind. Because look, 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 look with me again. It's called art. It's called art. It's called art. You've got to look closer. You've got to stare at this thing for a little bit. You've got to put yourself in the, in, in the seat of the artist. You've got, to, you've got to look closer. You've got to look deeper. It's called art. Right? Your story, your mess, it, God sees it as art. Verse 7 again. Go back to me. Go back there. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. Go and wash in the place that is called sent. Back up with me. Get abstract with me. Go, go to the mind of the artist for a bit. It's as if Jesus is saying, where you're really going to get healed is the place where you are sent. It's as if Jesus is saying, if you really want to reach your full potential, if you really want to become the best version of of yourself, if you really want complete healing, it's actually found in your calling. 
go to the place where you are sent. And it was there that he was made well. Your, your actual healing is found in your calling. And that's what we're going to see next week is that what this man did from here was not just go enjoy his newfound sight. He actually went and told as many people as he could about what Jesus had done for him. He was sent on a mission. He was sent for a greater purpose. He was sent to do something more. I'm telling you right now, some of you are going through hell on earth. And the goal, the goal from, from the great artist's eyes, from the great artist's perspective, the goal is not less misery. The goal is more ministry. God is leading you through the fires of hell right now to give you a story that, that can change other people's lives. God wants to lead you out of depression, not just so you feel less sad, but so that you can relate to the millions of other people in our world who are struggling with depression. And you can say, I am a story of hope. It's not over. Don't give up. Don't give up. The goal is more ministry. God, God wants to redeem your marriage. God wants to lead you through loneliness, not just to make you feel better. It's bigger than that. The goal is for you to be able to serve people. The goal is for you, for you to be able to share Jesus with people. The goal is always, always, always more ministry. I, I, I love how Paul says this in Ephesians 2. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. It's called art. It's called art. Well, God's working together in your life. It's called art. He says, for we are God's masterpiece. But catch this. He created us anew in Christ Jesus. He led us to recovery. He led us to wholeness. He led us to healing, right? It's beautiful. It's, it, it's amazing, comma, and so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. God does not want to clean up the mess on IOU just for you. You are blessed to be a blessing. God brings blessing to you, and then he calls it through you. It is always, always bigger than just you. God wants to use you. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you're walking through hell right now, lift your head up. Lift your head up. There is coming a day where this hell that you're living through will be used for ministry. There is coming a day where your suffering will be used to give someone else hope. Your misery God wants to turn it into ministry. It's called art. It's called art. It's called art. This is how you make sense of your life. You know, this is actually even how Jesus made sense of his life. This, is, this, this isn't just your story. This is actually the story of Jesus. I mean, come on. It's called art. But the cross, the cross looks like a mess. When Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross to die for your sins and to die for mine, it looked like a mess. The perfect sinless son of God being murdered though he committed no crime, being executed like a common criminal, it's a mess. It's why almost everyone abandoned him at the cross. It's a mess. But what we see as a mess, God says it's called art. It's called art. And Jesus was never in the seat of the victim. It was never happening to him. It was always happening for him. That through Jesus on the cross, Jesus would be exalted and lifted up and men and women for thousands of years would then worship him and follow him and he would be glorified as he deserves. It was not happening to him. It was happening for him. And, and, and instead of fighting it, right, he could have fought it. 
And you know, there was a time when Jesus struggled with it, right? He's in the garden and he prays, Father, if, you, if there's any way to take this cup from me, would you take it? But not my will be done, your will be done. Father, I accept this. Like a sheep being led to slaughter. He didn't fight back. He accepted what God had for him. He accepted the calling that he had. And, but the goal was never more misery, or less misery. It was always more ministry. It was always to start the greatest spiritual movement in human history. And now it's called, it's called art. It's called art. What's dangling from every necklace? What's tattooed on every arm? The cross of Jesus. What we call a mess. God says, ah, oh, it's, it's a masterpiece. It's called art. But it requires you being willing to see your life through his eyes. You have to choose to no longer look at your life from a worldly perspective, but in following Jesus, you say, okay, I'm going to look at this from his point of view. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to trust his wisdom. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up and say, artist, what are you doing here? Can you help me understand this? I want to see things the way you see things. And, and I believe that some of you right now, maybe for the very first time, it's starting to click. It's starting to click. All the things that have happened in your life, 20, 30, 40 years worth of life, it's starting to click. You're finding the, the ultimate meaning and, and, and significance of your life is being found right now in this moment in Jesus. And you need to, for the very first time, make a decision to start following him. And I'll give you the chance to do that. Others of you, I know, you're in the fight of your life right now. And I want to give you a chance to, to ask for prayer today, to just acknowledge that you need prayer. And, um, and as a church family, I want to pray for those in the room right now that are going through a mess and pray that, that they would see the art of God. It's called art. It's called art. But you've got to see it from his eyes. And so let's enter into a time of decision where maybe for the very first time we choose to see from Jesus's perspective, the mess. Would you stand with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed in the room, if you're here and you've never made a decision to become a follower of Jesus, but today something clicked in your heart, something clicked in your soul, God spoke to you. And, and you don't have to have your life cleaned up. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You ain't got to know all the all that the future holds. No, 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 no. You just got to be ready to say yes to the truth that you are loved because of the cross you are forgiven. And because of Jesus, your mess can have meaning. Your mess can actually be transformed into a masterpiece. But it all starts with a private decision for you to become a Christian, for you to start following Jesus. And so if you want to make that decision today to start following Jesus for the very first time, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three as a private decision between you and God. One, two, three. If you're in the room today and you know you're walking through the mess right now and you just, you just need some prayer, you just need some help, you just need a church to, to love you, and you need God to, to help you see your life from his perspective. All I want to do is pray for you. We're not going to make you come up front. We're not going to parade you around, nothing like that. But if you're in a mess right now and you're struggling to see your mess from God's perspective, would you lift your hand right now? 
If your hand's raised right now, you need to know you are one of 40 people in this room, 40, 50 people in this room that are raising their hands right now. You are not alone. And so church, let's, let's lift these people up in prayer right now. Let's ask God to move in their life in a powerful way. Jesus, God, I pray for every situation that's represented in this room right now. Every relationship that's strained, every financial situation that's producing stress, every marriage that is broken, every lonely heart, every anxious thought. God, we lift all these people up to you right now. And we ask that you would do something special right now. God, we ask that you would give them your eyes, your perspective. God, help them to see the mess and to see it as art. God, help them right now to feel it in their heart, to know it in their mind, that you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good, that you work all things together for the good of those who love you. And Jesus, right now, I pray that your peace that transcends all understanding would flood every heart, would flood every mind as we worship you, Jesus. We trust you with these people. We trust you with their situations. And we ask you to guide us, Jesus. We love you. And it's in your name we pray together by saying amen, amen. Let's celebrate the people who just made some bold decisions today, man. Let's go. Thank you so much for joining us for the Speak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.